Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that was a big clue as to what today's episode is going to be about. But in the meantime, we're going to start off as we always do by introducing ourselves. My name's Des. And I'm Marco. Des, I've been on holiday for a couple of weeks, so I trust that you did the, you wrote the script <laughs> and everything. Our script is very loose, very wild, <laughs> but 100% fun. <laughs> Speaking of fun, shall we have a beer? Let's have a beer. Can I ask what you're drinking? <laughs> All right. So I'm drinking a beer from the Tessels uh, Brewery here in the Netherlands. I was convinced I had tried it already, but I checked the database and I haven't. It's called Skumkoppe, and it's a fermented dark wheat beer. What about you, Des? I'm going to talk a lot about my beer later because it has an incredibly intriguing backstory. All right? But this is okay. one of the world's most famous beers. Okay. <laughs> it's a Duff beer, as in Duff from The Simpsons. And I'll explain to you how this came to be and how it's even legal. All right. Cheers. So as usual, I would say let's get started with the news. Agreed. So the Winter Olympics came and went. And you have a few interesting, fun facts for us. To our listeners who remember our first season, some of our most popular episodes were actually following the Summer Olympics, which was a much longer affair. I think this Olympics was a little bit more subdued for several reasons. First of all, it was in China where nobody from outside is currently allowed in. Yeah. The athletes came in under a very protected bubble and the journalists were only allowed to attend their hotel and the events. And that's it. There was no traveling around China. I don't want to comment about this too much because the Olympics, as you said, came and went and accompanied by the usual controversy. I think some of the biggest points are there is literally no snow in Beijing or the Olympic venues. So all the snow in this event was artificial. All of it. Oh, yeah. There was on social media, I kept, it kept popping up the picture of the ski jump event. That's just like a, a white ski jump slope, ramp, whatever you want to call it, in the middle of like an industrial complex with very... Yep. Like it's, nuclear power plants or whatever it it's was. It's very dystopian because there's like a very gray and brown landscape, very industrial. And there was this one random artificial ski jump and it was a bit weird. Yeah, yeah, it looked very weird. But also I saw some of the, Im the images. I cannot remember what they called the um, sports complex where they did some of the indoor events. But it was like right next to the stadium they built for the Summer Olympics of 2000. Eight. How can a city host both summer and winter Olympics? I don't know. I, is this the first time that it happened? Probably. Oh, I'm not sure. Yeah. Let's say it's the first time it ever happened, and we'll apologize for that later if it's not <laughs> true. There's a few things which I thought were both funny and kind of funny slash sad. Starting off with the funny funny, I don't know what sport it is. I think it's one of the long cross-country events where they were supposed to do 50 kilometers. Oh, yeah, that looks like torture. Yeah, it sounds like torture. And it gets even more painful for a particular <laughs> Finnish individual. So they were meant to ski 50 kilometers. Bear in mind that all the snow is artificial. They had to shorten the event to 30 kilometers because there was too much real snow. Too much real snow? Yeah, it started snowing and they said, oh, no, this is going to disrupt the event. Like a skiing competition yep. you're talking about. There was a skiing competition, <laughs> which was completely artificial. And then, unfortunately, it started snowing real snow. And they had to cut it short. <laughs> they had to call it off. Oh, what, the, what the hell? Isn't that the whole point? <laughs> it gets worse, right? This poor Finnish dude. It was freezing out there, apparently. Like, yeah. beyond cold. He started to freeze his private parts. Oh, like literally frostbite. And so he had to put like a heat pad at the end of it. And apparently it was like yeah. the most painful thing ever. And this is the kicker for me. It's not the first time it's happened. <laughs> so, wait, Des, I need to take a, let, let's take a step back here. Did you Google this? Did you? Really it popped up on like the newspapers here. And like, obviously you put the words, you know, 
private parts and frozen Olympics. It was like a clickbait in like all the national newspapers. <laughs> wow. Okay, that's actually really painful if you think about it, but all right. It wouldn't be an Olympics, Marco, if there wasn't some Russian doping scandal. <laughs> it wouldn't be any sport if it wasn't a Russian doping scandal. Also, I'm still amazed by the fact that Russia cannot go to the Olympics, and they still do. They just don't. Like, instead of having the Russian flag, they have the ROC flag. Yeah, like, the, and they all just compete under that flag, which is Yeah, like, but they still go, and they still win golds. Well, okay, so... There's this Russian skater who is 15 years old, incredibly talented. Her name is Kamila Valieva, and she uh, won yes. the gold with the team in the, in the yeah. team something. And they had to postpone giving the medals because it turns out that she tested positive for a, a heart drug. A heart drug? Heart, as in for the heart. It's like for angina yeah, yeah. or something. And then she was like, okay. oh, I must have by mistake taken my grandfather's medication. Oh, I heard about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. She was under intense scrutiny from international media and all like, would she be allowed to compete solo, this, that, and the other. And eventually the IUC decided that she should compete. This is the bit which is really quite disturbing. She was allowed to compete. She's only 15. And then in the finals, she had an absolute breakdown. She fell down three, four times. And oh, no. it was like really painful to watch. Like she clearly, it all got to her. Yeah. And to add insult to injury, the moment she finished, she went to the edge of the rink and her coach was like, why did you not try harder? Why did you, why did you give up? Oh my God. Okay. And then on top of that, so she missed out on the medal positions and it was like, she was in tears. It was really awkward to watch. It was painful. The person who got silver in that competition, she was so annoyed at getting silver. And I need to emphasize that it was like a Russian one-two anyway. And she was like, they never give me gold. I hate this sport. You guys push me so hard. I've had enough. The IOC, the International Olympic Committee, decided to allow this 15-year-old to compete under such circumstances because otherwise it would be detrimental to her health. Like, I don't think this was good for her health. No, mental health? No, definitely not. It was just so awkward. It was just painful. In other news, we've had a, a new Nintendo Direct. And eh, eh, I thought it was meh. I thought it was meh as well. A couple of interesting things, though, because I, I think Mario Kart 8, which is a great Mario Kart and a beloved series. Yeah. The game is eight years old because it was initially made for the Wii U. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no one bought the Wii U, so basically no one played the game. Yeah, so they just kind of remastered it and put it on the Wii. Or maybe they didn't even remaster it, it's just the same game. I think it is just the same game, and it's just ported over to the Wii, uh, to the Switch, sorry. Yeah. And being quite old, I think some people were expecting a new Mario Kart, or at least something different. But yeah. Nintendo announced that they're going to release 48 new courses Yeah. as DLC. Yeah, but they're included if you have the, their subscription service, but like the premium one. And the 48 courses are going to be released, if I'm not mistaken, eight at a time, starting like soon-ish and going forward. Like they're not going to be all released together. No. But it's just interesting because it's clear that, you know, 48 new courses could have made a new game. But they've obviously decided to continue this game and probably release a new Mario Kart with whatever comes next. Yeah. But in fairness, I think that's the best way because, I mean, you don't buy the Mario Kart for its graphics or for its gameplay or, yeah, the gameplay, yes. But, like, if I were to play this one or I were to play the Nintendo 64 one, I'd still have the same amount of fun. It's the classic game that you, you have friends over, you play with them, and it's, it's a ton of fun. And so I don't really feel the need for a new one or a sequel or anything like that. Kind of like the... Um, the producer of uh, Super Smash Bros, he said that he's done. Like, he did Ultimate, and that's it. And also, like, you don't really need... Like, no. I, I used to have the one for the for the GameCube, and it's pretty much the same thing. It is. It's just, like, a ton more characters. So if they just add a bunch of characters every once in a while, that keeps it going, at least for me. But I don't feel the need for a new one. Especially the, the latest Smash Brothers is so immense. Like, you don't need more characters. 
No, exactly. And yeah, it's already gone above and beyond in terms of roster. A couple more things which I thought were noteworthy. So the first one is the very beloved sports game from the original Wii is making a comeback for designed specifically for the Switch. I saw Wii Sports. That's slightly newsworthy. It's a very beloved game and generated God knows how many memes. That's partly interesting. Yeah. And it was good on the Switch. Oh, I mean, great. it's it's weird because it's like, it's the game. I, I used to have a Wii. I would have never bought it. No. But the fact that it was included made it a ton of fun. Like, I played a lot of it. I think everyone did. And it was good. Yeah. Okay, so moving on, just... Other interesting news, so we're, well, I'm a big fan, I think Marco appreciates it, No Man's Sky, the massive game by Hello Games, is being ported to the Switch. I saw, that's actually pretty cool. Super cool, because it allows you to play what is a a, a hugely immersive and expansive game on the go. Now the question is whether this will be processed natively on the actual Switch's hardware, or whether it will require internet, because... Nintendo have got this weird streaming idea where you buy games, but you can only play them via streaming, and they call it cloud play. Okay, I don't know. No one's quite sure if No Man's Sky is going to be optimized for the Switch, so using the hardware's own processing power, or whether it's going to be a cloud gaming sort of solution. Okay, well, interesting to see. And we were talking about this the other day. We're talking about indie games, and if you haven't listened to our indie game episode, now's a good time. Yeah, it's really good. We mentioned games which are difficult and making a resurgence, and one of the games which we mentioned was Cuphead. Which I refuse to play because it's apparently incredibly difficult. Super difficult, but very charming. It's all hand-drawn animation in the style of a 1930s cartoon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very, like, Betty Boop. Yeah, super Betty Boop. Um, uh, or, like, the really original Mickey Mouse, you know, the ones, like, on a steamboat. Yes, oh, my God. Those are, those are the best. Uh, just like that. And uh, they're releasing their sequel called The Delicious Last Course. Even though they're like that cartoony sort of character, they've got a slight adult edge with like double meanings and you know, just a bit of fun. It was just a comment really that the sequel's coming out. But then, this is just a side note. I noticed that there's a Cuphead cartoon now, as in not just the style. Like Netflix has an animated series called Cuphead. Oh yeah, I heard about it. I think it's already out. I think it was out like mid-February, but yeah, I haven't seen it. I've only seen the first episode, which was remarkably okay. Like, it wasn't amazing. Is it in the same animation style? Because that was the selling point of the game, I think. I was surprised that it's got the same characters too, like the same baddies from the game. It ties in very well. Wow. Maybe I should check it out. It's just a side note, because obviously Netflix seems to be trying to come up with its own original content. And I suspect one of their strategies is to look at intellectual property, which is available and popular, and bring them onto Netflix. We had like the Witcher TV series, which even though it's technically a book, it's more famous for the game. We have uh, Cuphead, as I just mentioned, which seemed to me a little bit bizarre because I thought it was quite niche. And the other one is um, Arcane, an animated series from based on the League of Legends game. Oh, I heard that it's incredibly good. I'll be honest, I've watched two episodes. It's pretty good. I think the animation is fantastic, and yeah. I haven't watched it all, and the reviews say it's insanely good. Yeah, I heard that it's made by this like indie French studio that did an incredible job uh, with the animation. I know nothing about the story, and I know nothing about League of Legends, but... I heard it's really, really good. I haven't watched it all. I've only watched like the one episode and researched for this this episode. I've read a few reviews and the consensus seems to be that you don't need to know the game. Like it introduces you really well to the universe and it's not based on the mechanics of the game. It's like a story using the characters from the game. All right. Well, I'll check it out. Moving on to some tech news. This is something which I think Marco holds quite dear because I think he's eyed up his next phone. Oh, yeah, I have. Beginning of February, Samsung announced their latest line of flagship phones. So it's made up of three phones, the S22, the S22 Plus, which is just a bigger version of it, and the S22 Ultra. And this year, the Ultra essentially is the Galaxy Note, which, as some might remember, was not released last year in 2021. Now we're pretty sure it's not going to be released in 2022 either. The S22 Ultra is basically 
an S22, but with squared edges and an apparently awesome camera and the Note staple, the S Pen. Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to that. I, I I already saw a few reviews. Apparently, it's it's very very good to the point that a lot of reviewers are calling it the best Android phone. Full stop. An interesting thing that we both noticed is the fact that Samsung is promising four years of guaranteed updates. So of four years of Android updates, and I think five of security updates, meaning that it's better than what Google is offering on its own Pixel phones because they offer three Android releases. Yeah, incredible. Here in the Netherlands, but I think everywhere in the world, Samsung is offering pretty sweet deals on if you pre-order it, especially if you have another phone to trade in. And uh, like you hinted at, Des, I'm kind of tempted. The thing which kind of inspires me about this phone is that, as you said, it's really good. And it's got like the best of everything, but nothing experimental. It's all tried and tested stuff, which is going to be awesome and appears to be reviewing awesome. And the fact that you're guaranteed four years of support, I know most enthusiasts will probably change their phone more often than the recommended two years. Yeah. This should go from Android 12 to Android 16. They're basically saying if you buy this phone, you won't need a phone for at least four years. And you won't, essentially, because we've talked about it multiple times about how Phones are getting good now, and there's between one generation and the next, there isn't a massive jump in features and whatever. The fact that this one will have four years of guaranteed updates also helps the residual value, as in you can resell it for a lot more. Yeah, you're right, because if you sell it when it's two years old, whoever buys it knows they're going to get two years of updates. Yeah, exactly. Like it's still on the latest software for at least another two years. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Um, I'm looking forward to it. It's coming in sweet colors. I really like the green, although, you know, I'm a big fan of like the bronze looking one, but... (laughs) Um, also known as pink. I mean, we did a poll. They, the, the people voted bronze. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, kind of looking forward to it. So I'm, I'm a little bit on the fence whether I should order it or not. It's really expensive. And, it's, and this year, one thing that really pissed me off is the fact that the base model with 128 gigs of storage comes with 8 gigs of RAM. If you get the next tier up, so the 256 of non-upgradable storage, by the way, uh, you get 12 gigs of RAM, meaning to have like its full performance, you have to get the second tier of storage, even though at least for me, 128 gigs, gigs is plenty. Another thing, you know my, my issues with my Galaxy Note 20 Ultra, the battery and fingerprint reader. The battery just doesn't last enough and the fingerprint reader is just terrible. To give you an example, like when it's really sunny, last couple of weeks, I was in a beach location and it just never worked. Never. I was so frustrated. And, you know, I had dry hands. Like, it's not like I was using wet hands or anything like that. But it's just like when you need it to work quickly, it just doesn't work. Like when you need to check a map or when you need to when you're in the supermarket and you're about to pay, it just never works. And it's really frustrating. And this one seems to have corrected those issues. So let's see. Another thing that I'm really excited about is we both live in Europe, although I think uh, the UK doesn't believe it's in Europe, (laughs) but that's more of your problem than mine. Uh, And so we get, uh, in this region, we get the Exynos chip compared to the Snapdragons in, for example, the US. This year, the Snapdragon what's it called, 8th Gen 1, is not great, as in it uses a lot of power and it's not as power efficient as as previous generations. But the Exynos chip that we are getting seems to be really good. It In past years, it was really lagging behind the Snapdragon in terms of performance and power efficiency. This year, it seems to be on par. If I get it, I'll feel a little bit better that I'm about having the version that's not worse. I think that's more of a, a more of a shortcoming of Snapdragon because the latest one hasn't reviewed or performed particularly well when people have tested it. But in fairness, we not a lot of tests have been uh, have been issued because typically the Galaxy phones are the first big flagships to come out in the year. And given that we're still in February, as at the time of recording, and I think publishing, I think we have just this one and a couple of like. Xiaomi phones have yeah, it, but not a lot. Something. Yeah. 
But also, I guess I'm not a lot of phones are going to have this because who are the big players? I mean, the OnePlus is probably going to have it. Sony is going to come up with their random flagship that no one's going to buy anyway. And that's pretty much it because Google moved off of it. Now they're have, they have their own silicon and Apple obviously will never, will never do that. So I don't know. So anyway, as of now, it seems like hands down the best Android phone. It's got everything and it doesn't have any major flaws. It looks like they went and improved on everything that had to be improved from the previous years. So that's why I'm kind of looking forward to it. It's just to get one phone that does everything, does it well, and does it for four years. I'm interested to see what the, the final reviews will say about it, because obviously no one sends review units to us. Yet. <laughs> Samsung, if you're listening, check out our Korea episode, but also send us phones, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Now we're moving on to the juicy part of this episode, all right? And I have got a soundbite prepared. So are you ready for this, Marco? Go for it. Good news, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> what could that possibly mean? If you didn't recognize it, that was Professor Farnsworth, <laughs> who is the professor from the beloved series Futurama, which is coming back. For like the fifth time. It, it's like the most canceled show in the world. And most picked up. True. It always revived. I remember one of the times that it was uh, that it was cancelled and then it was brought back. I think it even changed networks or something like that. Whatever. They were having like a little skit with um, them with a ton of like fans to cool the air. And they were like, oh, we're back. Thanks to our many fans. And there's like all the fans. And it's like, we have to deliver them. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were like on the brink of bankruptcy like the their delivery company or whatever it was but anyway if you're not aware if you've been living under a rock futurama was a or is going to be again a sci-fi animated tv series which was very adult created by the creator of the simpsons matt groening and david x cohen unlike the simpsons which is very much grounded in reality and present day springfield futurama is set 1000 years in the future with the main protagonist being Philip J. Fry, who was cryogenically frozen by accident in the year 1999 and wakes up a thousand years later. Marco mentioned it's the most cancelled TV show in history, and he's probably correct, but we fact-check nothing. <laughs> Initially aired on Fox between 1999 and 2003, moved to Comedy Central because Fox had dumped it, and Comedy Central picked it up from 2003 and 2007, so that was cancellation number one. Cancelled at the end of 2007 and revived as direct-to-video movies. But the funny thing is, they did one movie saying, this is the end. But it was so popular, they did another movie, and then another movie, and then another movie. So they did four movies between 2007 and 2009. And each one was supposed to be the end. Yeah, but then each movie got cut up into pieces and they re-released them as episodes. Correct. Because Comedy Central picked up the series again between the years of 2010 and 2013. So those movies became like the interim seasons. Yeah. And it finished in 2013 until the decision was published or announced that they're going to make, I think, 26 new episodes for 2023 on Hulu. Wow. No, on Paramount Plus. i sorry. I take that back. No, Hulu. Is Hulu it Hulu? announces it. Yeah, yeah. Hulu announced it. That uh, the original writers are coming back as well as, and this is kind of the, the, the bummer, the entire cast, except for Jodie Madro, who voices Bender. Arguably one of the most popular characters in the show. One of the best characters ever. So initially they announced that uh, they were coming back and that most of the cast was on board to this reunion. We had no news from Jody Maggio himself until he spoke very recently, essentially saying that he thinks that he should be re like paid what he's worth. So I think it's more mostly like a contractual, a contractual thing. And yeah, so I guess we'll see what happens, whether Bender is going to be recast or Bender is just not going to be there and there's going to be another character. I guess we'll see. But I am so hyped and I'm super looking forward to it. Although on one hand, it's like I have very mixed feelings as, as in 
very hyped, like hyped and everything. But also, it was meant to be over ages ago. I would be so disappointed if they bring it back and it's not as good. Yeah, we'll talk about series which should have ended a long time ago. My interpretation of Futurama, there are some seasons, I think in between, like season three maybe, to like season eight, which were fantastic. But the first seasons were yeah. a little bit slow. It was finding its feet. The, the chemistry wasn't quite right between the characters. But then slowly, slowly, like, you get to learn about Zoidberg and Zoidberg's home planet and why he is the way he is. Uh, Leela has her own mysterious backstory evolved. And all of this on the backdrop of incredibly edgy humor, which really stands the test of time. Yeah, and some of the episodes were actually really deep. I remember this one episode where Farnsworth creates these robots on this one planet and they go ahead and evolve they start all believing in evolution and Farnsworth kind of like, no, I'm your God. I created you guys. Like, <laughs> or one of the most memorable episodes, I think of any show is the one where, where we discover Fry's dog. Oh yes. That one's like incredibly sad. So like, like that said, Fry gets frozen for a thousand years and then wakes up in the year 3000. But you see that his dog is always still like waiting for him to come back and he doesn't. The one with Fry's brother. The one with the brother, yeah, with the five leaf or seven leaf clover. They have a sibling rivalry. Yeah. He thinks his brother stole everything from him. And then he sees a statue dedicated to his brother and he thinks that, you know, he stole his lucky four leaf clover. And then you see current episode and flashbacks to a thousand years ago after Fry's disappearance. And then you realize there's a plot twist and it's really heartfelt. Yeah, yeah. but there's a lot of episodes like that or the fact that like throughout the entire series, Fry is trying to be with Leela and then he always gets super close and like some of the episodes are actually really touching in that way. But then also, it's also like a very scientifically accurate show as part of the writing staff actual PhDs and like mathematics and physics and everything were involved to the point that there was this one episode, I think with the, um, with the Harlem Glo Globetrotters, which are like this group of like math geniuses in the show. There was a fun fact that an actual math theorem was developed for this show. Another thing which occurs a lot, which I find really funny is that obviously Bender is a robot. So there'll be a lot of binary code thrown in, in the episodes. And they're all accurate. Yeah, and it's like the one, like that series is, I think, one of the quintessential sci-fi you have to watch if you're a sci-fi fan. Because it's just great. And like on top of being funny and everything, like it's just great sci-fi. When it was created, it kind of said the jokes that they couldn't put on The Simpsons. Yeah, yeah. But I think Matt Groening actually said that at one point, that he just needed to, he just wanted to create another series where he could put all the jokes that he couldn't put on The Simpsons. Which is fair enough, because we really enjoyed it. Let, let's see what happens. I'm really excited, and I guess we'll have to wait a while, if you said 2023. I mean, let's take the opportunity to, to talk about maybe some of our favorite animated series out there, because right now there's loads of them. Completely agree. And I don't think we can talk about all the animated series, because we'd be here forever. Let's list all of them. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about the ones which really changed things for animation. All right. Specifically the ones which kind of developed it from a thing for children into something more. Well, I mean, we could start by saying that without Futurama, Rick and Morty wouldn't exist. Agreed. I think Rick and Morty filled the hole that Futurama left. And it's even edgier. Yeah, it's even edgier. It's like the story of this alcoholic grandfather and his teenage grandkid and they go on adventures but they're all based on like time travel space portals uh, like parallel dimensions yeah multiple worlds or multiple universes and things like that which is really funny but i think it would have never happened without futurama this was created by dan Harmon, who might be more famous for maybe community oh right yeah Community was funny. If you're familiar with Community, one of the characters called Starburns is also the producer of Rick and Morty or was involved in its creation, which I find hilarious. Anyway, what are like, wait, what one that you're a huge, huge, huge fan of more than me, I would say is South Park. Oh my God. I love South Park. Love it. It's really good. Uh, where to start? 
Well, I, I don't know, but like South Park has been going on for like 20 some seasons? 25 years. Wow. I think it's the second longest animation series in the world. After which one? The Simpsons. <laughs> oh man, The Simpsons was awesome, but it, it got really bad lately. Like, I don't watch it anymore. Okay, so this is my biggest thing about South Park. Like, the creators of South Park, Matt Stone and Trey Parker, they are yeah. still intimately involved with South Park. It's their child. And they do the voices. Yeah, and they keep it fresh. They keep it fresh. They are infamous for having a very tight turnaround. Like, they can produce an episode in a week. And they've notoriously decided, like, halfway through one episode to completely scrap it because it wasn't good enough. Yeah. Well, South Park itself is super simple animation. So they can easily turn around episodes really quick because of that. Like, they've got all the assets. It doesn't take them long to create. And they do all the voices, the the two guys, or most of them. Though. They do most of them with a few guest ones here and there. Yeah. And I think they rec- they do them all pretty quickly as well. Like, I think they record a season in a, free- in a few months, and then they go back to New York. Okay. Just recently, they kind of slowed down a bit with the series, and they created some... Uh, streaming movies so movies for release and the most recent one is called uh, south park post covid which is hilarious even if you're if you've got a slight understanding of the world of south park it is so good and I, have you seen it no i recommend you watch it because it's a south park we know and love but there's a huge twist and it's not a twist like it's the emphasis of the story but you see them as adults throughout the whole film Oh. So basically, it's set in a world where it's like the 25th mutation of COVID. (laughs) So we're all adults. Yeah. The plot is like someone discovers time travel and they want to go back in time to prevent, uh, is it Stan's dad or Kyle's dad from from having sex with a bat and a pangolin (laughs) to prevent the creation of of the COVID virus. Oh my God. Where do you find this? I want to see it. It's available um, uh, <laughs> on some <laughs> many websites. Forget I asked. Forget I asked. Go, go, go on. The usual storyline is centered on four kids in South Park, Colorado, which is a very small town, which at first sight might appear very quaint, but it turns out everyone is a little bit, I don't know. Off the rails. <laughs> everyone's a little bit crazy and... Yeah. They tackle big world problems, but with a small town mentality. Yeah. And it's very rude. I think it's made well, Eric Cartman into like a household name for being completely outspoken. And he epitomizes the, the, the person who's got very little insight, but is very opinionated. It, like this one is one, like it's a show that got better throughout the years. You know, like, for example, we mentioned The Simpsons before, but we could say also a family guy or American dad series that were pretty good and then they just became bad like this one is like it manages to stay fresh and manages to be like up to date it tackles very current events possibly because it's so easy for them or it's so quick for the the producers to come up with an episode if you look like a at a season 20 episode it's way better than a season one. Oh yeah and i think they got into their stride they got their rhythm And now they can just literally knock them out really quick. Yeah, yeah. Like, you don't feel like it's getting stale or anything. Like, I would happily watch an episode today of their latest season. But yeah, like, it's just, it's interesting how they do that. And they're, like, credit to Matt Stone and Trey Parker for that. Because, again, I'm thinking The Simpsons is just unwatchable these days. Family Guy is not not even remotely funny anymore. Uh, American Dad, it was okay the first few seasons, and then it just became terrible. And that's kind of what I was alluding to when we were talking about Futurama. I would hate it to go down that route, if you you get what I mean. I'm with you on that. And even though Futurama has got Matt Groening's blessing, I don't know if that speaks for much. Now, I have a huge amount of respect for Matt because he's done an amazing job his legacy is undoubted, you know, like Simpsons yeah, was fantastic. Futurama was fantastic. And there's also the other one. Have you ever seen it? The one on Netflix? I think it's called Enchanted. That's exactly what it's getting to because I don't think it's that good. I yeah. tried watching it and I couldn't get into it. Yeah, it was, it felt uninspired. And this is my fear that maybe Matt Groening's ideas aren't as fresh anymore. So even though he's giving it his blessing, d- does it carry through into a good TV series today? Yes, we'll have to wait and see. Because what's his name? What's the name of the guy who created Family Guy? 
Seth MacFarlane. Seth MacFarlane. He said that he thought Family Guy should have stopped decades ago. But they kept on giving him more money. And he was like, well, fine, go ahead and do it. But he's not involved with it anymore. He doesn't write the storylines. He just voices Peter Griffin. And you can tell. You can tell, exactly. But he admits that it should have stopped. But people keep watching it and they keep giving him money. So it's doing its own thing. But I guess you can say that about a lot of things. As in, I don't know, not necessarily animation, but... The last couple of seasons of Friends, not that good. The the last season of How I Met Your Mother that was just one wedding, it was way too yeah. much and way too forced. Like, there's so many series. Or, like, do we want to talk about the last season of Scrubs where the main characters aren't even there anymore? Yeah, they tried to transition yeah, it and it, it just didn't It was just work. terrible. And that's the problem. People keep wanting more. And... I like I get that because I'm the same like if I see something I just want more I want a sequel I want to see like if I, if, if I like something but sometimes it's like in retrospect it's a lot better to just let something be <laughs> and let it end I don't know you know like my favorite movie ever is Robocop but then Robocop 2 3 and the remake in 2014 they were pretty bad and they kind of tarnish the reputation of the first one agreed we touched upon some Netflix series. You quite like Bojack Horseman. Oh man, that's the best. Or not the best, but it's it's really good. It's one of my favorite animated series. Story of this in this like ridiculous world where there's anthropomorphic anthropomorphic animals and there's this one guy Bojack Horseman who used to be a sitcom character in the 90s. Think of a like a full house kind of, yeah. Uh, and fast forward to today, he's just not really doing anything anymore. He's kind of depressed. He's kind of an alcoholic. So it's, it's a little bit funny and very depressing because like the guy just keeps trying to get himself out of it and he can't, but it's very good. I, I highly recommend it. And that finished well, like Netflix said they weren't going to renew it. No, the ending is really good. Like the way it finishes is really, really good. So no spoilers there. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. And you know, you've got, is it four seasons? Yeah, four or five. Good animation. But yeah, it's it's really, really good. Just going back in time a little bit. I think one of the series which maybe wasn't particularly aimed at adults, but did tackle adult themes, especially for the time was the original Batman, the animated series. Oh, yeah. That was maybe one of the first that was kindest or that started to be aimed towards adults. Apart from the fact that it was incredibly stylish and it showed a new version of Batman because think like this was mid-90s or something like that. At the time, all we had was the first and second Tim Burton movies or the, the Tim Burton movies. And that was it because then... Before that, Batman was the character that you know from like the 60s series, the Adam West Batman. So it was kind of like, yeah, like colorful and clownish and kind of like happy. Like it wasn't like the dark, troubled Batman that we know today. First of all, in terms of animation, they pushed boundaries because unlike most animation at the time, where you would start with a white piece of paper and draw it, to keep that dark aesthetic, they did the opposite. They drew it all on black paper and they put the colors in. Oh, I didn't know that. That was something they pioneered. And you can kind of see it because it's got a very dark feel yeah, to it. It does. It maybe has the best iterations of and the best duality between Batman and the Joker. Yeah, for sure. People love to argue about whether, I don't know, the Christian Bale or the um, Michael Keaton or or whoever is the best Batman and between Jack Nicholson, Heath Ledger, Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix are the best Jokers. I would argue that maybe the best ones are Mark Hamill as the Joker and Kevin Conroy as Batman. I would agree. And well, Mark Hamill is fantastic. His voice acting is incredible. And I think he sets the the mold of the standard at which all Joker interpretations are based yeah, upon. Yeah. And fun fact, they both act in the um, Arkham games, like Arkham, Arkham Asylum, Arkham City, and Arkham Knight. Yeah, and that interpretation of the Joker is just as good, maybe because it's based yeah, on Mark yeah, Hamill's yeah, character. Exactly. But uh, no, but that like and to think that that was, I think, early to mid-90s, that series, and it brought so much stuff that we consider pop culture in 
came from there. Like, for example, the character of Harley Quinn was born there. It wasn't, it never came from a comic book. So that's like, that's pretty cool. And like the whole story of the Joker psychologist who is deeply fascinated with the Joker. And then she goes kind of cuckoo and then follows him around and becomes his sidekick. That's awesome. Or the fact that one really, really good episode is the one about Mr. Freeze. I cannot remember the title of it, but that episode kind of goes into the backstory of Mr. Freeze and why he's the way he is and like, what's his motive. And maybe if you want to really look at it, if we look at comic book movies today, they're all trying to give an idea that the bad guy maybe isn't so bad and that he or she has really, there's something driving that evilness or whatever. Like nowadays you barely see bad guys that are evil because they're evil because that's how they are. And I think it all kind of started from that series. So I think it was massively influential. As the creators said, it was always inspired to be like a detective noir movie. And that shows because there's no clear moral right or moral wrong. The only moral right is Batman, but he lives in a world of greys. Yeah. And and in that, you should should really watch the, um, I think it was the first animated movie that they did based on that series, which was The Mask of the Phantasm, which is... One of the best animated movies ever, I would say. And moving on to something a little bit more lighthearted, and I think Marco uses this character as his role model, (laughs) and that's the animated series of Archer. (laughs) Well, he's a spy, and he drinks all the time. Like, what's what's not to take as a role model? But he doesn't just drink, does he? He has standards when it comes to cocktails. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, he drinks quality stuff. Think of... 60s james bond movies like that's kind of like the vibe but they're a like ridiculous group of spies and it's probably the most adult of the ones we've mentioned about like there'll be sex scenes there'll be jokes about things which are disgusting oh, yeah, like yeah it's really good it's really funny like some of the later seasons are not as good because then it goes like in very different directions like there's one season that takes place in space and one that takes place like in a tropical island which, in my opinion, are not as good. But, like, early seasons, really, really funny. I never understood this because I watched the early seasons and it was yeah. coherent. You yeah. had a storyline. They had their spy agency. Which was called ISIS. I know! <laughs> Be- before ISIS. <laughs> so they had to change it. They had to change the name of their spy agency because they couldn't call it ISIS anymore. It had, as you said, this really cool 60s aesthetic, but it wasn't quite set in the 60s. It was left vague what year it was in. Uh, and, it, you know, it just worked because it had that cool sort of very suave, stylistic approach to it. And then when they do these series when they're in the jungle or in space, I think they kind of stand alone. They're not actually related to the previous series. No, they're not. They're kind of like reboots in a way. Yeah, I don't think it worked as well. No, I don't think so either. I think they another example of a series that probably should have ended a bit earlier. All right. And just before we go on to reviewing our beers... I think it's worth mentioning that The Simpsons in its prime was fantastic. I think that was the first animated series which kind of tackled themes and joked around adult stuff. Yeah. And those first early seasons of The Simpsons were incredible. Yeah, but then also how they developed the characters. And, you know, Homer Simpson is one of the best characters ever. Like you said, the series in its prime is awesome. As was Family Guy until... I would argue Seth MacFarlane left the show, the creative process of the show. Yeah. So there are lots of other series out there, so we can't really talk about all of them. But more recent ones, which I think are worth of a notable mention. Have you ever watched Bob's Burgers? Uh, a few episodes. I can't get into it, though. I don't think it's as good as the previous mentioned one, so it's why I've put it as a notable mention. But I'd say right now, other than South Park, is maybe the second best animated series which kind of follows that vein. I don't think it's as yeah, good as the yeah. other ones, but there's a bit of a void at the moment. You know what? Uh, you know what the thing is for me? Like, a few years ago, when I used to have cable TV, or I used to have TV, all of these, like, Family Guy, American Dad, Bob's Burgers, The Simpsons, they were always on. You sit down after, after you come back from work, and you turn on the TV, and they're always on, and so you kind of watch a few episodes. Now that I watch only stuff on streaming... I watch stuff with purpose now, as in I sit down and I decide to watch 
I don't know, whatever episode of whatever series I'm, I'm watching. While before there was just, it was just stuff that was on and it, I just kind of ended up watching them because of that. Now I just don't find myself like, oh, I could really go for an episode of Family Guy. That's why like I haven't watched an episode in ages. Same thing for Bob's Burgers, same thing for The Simpsons, same thing for American Dad, South Park even. Like I just watched those like three, four series that I'm, that I like and that's pretty much it. I think that's a, a fair observation. You know, you mentioned South Park. Matt Stone and Trey Parker did something ingenious, but at the time, unheard of. TV series in general, like the creators, like they don't make as much money as you would think because the the producers and the and, and like the, the, the channel networks. keeps most of the TV yeah. rights. This was like in the early noughties. They signed a deal. The deal was along the lines of the network would keep 90% of the profits from TV. But Matt Stone and Trey Parker would get 50% of non-TV broadcasts. Okay. At the time, that was nothing. Yeah. Hardly anything existed for non-TV. But then the streaming revolution happened. And every time people bought the rights for South Park, Trey Parker and Matt Stone got 50% of the money, which is a ridiculous yeah, yeah. cut. Ah, well, they were good visionaries. Super visionary. Whether it was by yeah. accident or design, I don't know. I think their back catalog got bought up for streaming for something like $900 million. Hmm. So they've got like $500 million of that. Or we're talking about astronomical figures and they keep most of that money because it's their child and the contract says that they get 50% of it. (laughs) That's really clever of them. Well, good for them. Good for them. I just thought it was interesting. And, you know, streaming has changed the TV landscape forever. Yeah, no doubt. Should we call it a day? <laughs> yes. How was your beer? You want me to go first? So this is this one is really good. Yeah, again, I'm drinking the Skumkoppe from the Tessels Brewery here in the Netherlands. Tessels is, Tessels is one of the islands in the north. So the Netherlands has a few like little islands. And it's the first one coming from the south. And apparently they also have a tour of their brewery. So Des, if you come to the Netherlands and you feel like going on a little field trip for a couple of days, we could uh, we could go visit them. Like I said before, this is a dark wheat beer, which is kind of unlike anything else I've drunk in the podcast for sure. And it's really good. Like you can, it's really tasty. Like it's weird because it kind of tastes like a wheat beer, but kind of more creamy and maybe a bit sweeter the the website says that it's packed with flavor with hints of caramel and apricot which i could not (laughs) taste but definitely (laughs) not the apricot but the caramel a little bit so again i I really like it it's unlike any other beer i've had in uh, recently so i'm confident in giving it five and a half out of six not bad that's really high it's very good man but uh, what about your Duff beer? I will start off by saying that this Duff beer is terrible. <laughs> the reason why I bought this, A, I thought, what the hell? Duff beer like from The Simpsons? And it is Duff beer like from The Simpsons. Now, the particular one I've got has got a slightly different design than the one from the cartoon. The question is how have we got away with actually selling this? Yeah. I had to Google this and find out the story. Now, you can buy Duff beer in Universal Studios. Like, they sell it in their Simpsons part of the show. I think we found it when we went there. Yeah. What's his name? Matt Groening, the creator of, of Simpsons, said he never... He was approached, like, we should sell this beer. And he said, no, that would be irresponsible because a lot of children watch The Simpsons and he didn't want to encourage it. Okay. Which was very yeah. noble. The Germans were less noble. <laughs> the Germans. They created not one, but two Duff beers. Okay. They weren't the first to try. So there's a funny story. In Mexico, someone registered Duff beer and sells it, and it's identical to the one from The Simpsons, and it's now spread to all of South America, and there's nothing Fox can do about it. (laughs) They tried to brew a Duff beer in Australia, but Fox sued the company, and they had to pull it from the market. Okay. A New Zealand company tried to make a Duff beer, and it's completely unrelated to The Simpsons. The guy's name is Gavin Duff. Ah, convenient. He had to change his name to Macduff Beer. <laughs> okay. And I just suspect McDonald's will sue him shortly, but we'll tackle that <laughs> another day. Okay. And anyway, the Germans had it, and they also got sued by Fox. And here's the kicker. 
Fox had trademarked Duff Beer, but only for non-beer items, like, you know, selling T-shirts with Duff yeah. Beer on yeah, it yeah. or things like that. And so the European government or German government argued successfully because they made the decision that Fox wasn't losing any money because they didn't sell any beer. Oh, clever. So to put an end to this, they started selling their own beer and the European thing said, okay, you have to, that trademark of Duff Beer has to go to Fox. Okay. So wait, which beer do you have? <laughs> I've got Duff Beer, the German okay. one, which started off as a, let's say, rebel or parasite product, but now officially has to pay royalties to Fox. Okay. All right. But don't worry, because you will never drink this because it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Problem solved. So I've, I've taken one for the team. So, all right. So what's the score? One out of a six pack. Wow. Wow. Just like an episode of The Simpsons nowadays. Precisely. <laughs> and on that note, so there's... We had a pretty long episode this time, but there was a lot to talk about. We started off by mentioning a few fun facts about the recently ended Beijing Winter Olympics, then moved on to a couple of highlights from the latest Nintendo Direct, and talked about the recently announced Galaxy S22 line, which includes the S22 Ultra, which is a very compelling phone. But the good news from this episode was that Futurama is apparently coming back, albeit without Bender. That got us talking about some of our favorite animated series, because right now the landscape for animated series is very full of interesting offerings, such as Batman, the animated series, Archer, Bojack Horseman, Rick and Morty, the brilliant South Park, and also, let's not forget, The Simpsons, Family Guy, American Dad, and Bob's Burger. And having said that, Des, I'm gonna call it a day. I'll speak to you next time. See you next time, guys. 